0: Is in Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. It says, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of the joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness spring up and cause troubles and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desires to inherit the blessings, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time we get together, Lord. We thank you for the fact that we can come worship you together. And no matter what's happening in our worlds and in our lives, that we can come to a place here where you are the victor, life you win. We win because of you and we get to be blessed because of you. And I pray today as we read your word and look through it, Lord, that you will help me be clear, help me to be understandable, but your words really will shine out and that I will be, get out of the way so that we can hear what you have to say to us today, Lord. In your name, amen. So my mother-in-law is an English teacher. And so when you ever have a passage or a verse that has something that says, therefore, you have to figure out why it's therefore. So if you got a pew Bible or your phone, we're going to look up, we're just going to read real quick Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's 948 in your pew Bible. I looked it up beforehand. Or just look it up on your phone. But it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of of the throne of God. So I don't know you, but I'm not really a runner, but I know lots of runners, and it's a little bit insane, to be honest with you. And so guys who run marathons, like a lot, you hear stories about how they can't quite make it to the finish line, so they, they take care of business while they're running. Or they lose sort of bodily control, and they can't really do it. And so they just, oh, you see guys stumble. I mean, like, you ever watch, like, the, the huge marathons where guys are, like, falling over at the finish Line? So when we start this passage, a little bit is what, this is what's sort of happening. What he's, we have just been told that Christ is the victor, and he's talking about now what happens when you're tired, what happens when you're struggling. I mean, you start getting drooping hands, you weak knees, and you start losing the ability to go forward. And so this passage actually gives us the solution to being tired or to being feeling like you're off course. So I know Britt, is Britt livers here? He is, look at him. So he has a buddy who's really crazy and used to run like ultra marathons, like 50-mile marathon kind of things. Like, I run like three and like gotta take three weeks off. But runs 50, and so Britt went with them one time because they had to run with them because they ran like 24 hours so they wouldn't like run off a cliff. Right? And so I just want you to imagine you're this tired that you can't function straight. Like you're having a hard time thinking, right? You're having a hard time going forward. And so as we talk about this, I want to remind us, first of all, from 12 and one and two, what do we know? First of all, they're reminding us that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, right? All these people who have gone before us in the faith and walked well and finished well, right? As the same way as a church, we have people with us, walking with us, helping us just like Brett did with his friend, That is that should be happening, but the goal is what is to lay aside the weight of sin that ultimately hinders us from doing what God has called us to do, right? That's the problem. But we are supposed to run with endurance, and how do we do that? Well, first of all, we have Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who won, He beat. Satan. He beat death. He beat sin. We are free and holy and clear because of Jesus. I want you to understand that very carefully before I get in this passage. We win if you are with Jesus. What we're about to talk about is us growing in Christ has nothing to do strictly with our salvation. Your holiness has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ fulfilling it, right? I just want you to be very clear. So I'm not giving you a message about morality. Get it all together and you'll be great because that's not what I'm saying. So here's the deal. Here's my main point. I'm going to say it about a thousand times so you won't miss it. In order for us to finish well, like I'm getting up there. Dave's farther than I am, but I'm getting up there to the end. In order to finish well, you have to live in a balance of holiness and peace. I want you to think about that for a second. A balance of holiness and peace to finish this race well. I gave you my notes today. Look at that. So the first issue is literally the struggle, which is found in verse 13, right? Or 12 and 13. The fact is we are tired. We are tired of fighting the fight. We are tired of running the race, and we're struggling. So you get the little droopy hands. you get sort of weak knees, and, and what they're saying is make your path straight. How do we make our path straight? You do it by just sucking it up, strapping it on your belts, running first, right? No! What we do is, first of all, you need to recognize we are a team together, trying to do it together. And the greatest example I know, which half of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but wrestling. Kenan just gave me $5 because I said that. But here's why wrestling is such a great sport for what I'm talking about today. Wrestling is this individual fight you have with somebody. You wrestle for six minutes, hopefully you make it that long, you win, but it's this grueling, just mental, physical thing. But at the same time, there's this whole team element to it. And so you have guys on your sidelines screaming for you, cheering you on, and just helping you. Even when you fail or you lose or you don't succeed, they're still there propping you up, encouraging you. It's sort of what a church should look like, to be honest with you. Because I'll be honest with you. First of all, we're all failed. And I realize you think you're not, you're out of your mind. We all do wrong. We all sin. We all struggle. And what you want more than anything is to first to realize is that God already won, right? Your failure does not prevent anything from happening. But at the same time, you want to be encouraged and supported by your people, which is us, which is your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ trying to walk the same walk you're walking, right? That's what's happening, But the solution literally to keep walking that right path is a balance of peace and holiness. And here's the problem with our world today. When you think about peace, peace, and it says striving for peace. Remind me, striving is an active word. You're striving. You're never going to get there. You're striving, right? You're striving. You continue to strive. But this is what happens. Sometimes we'll take peace at the cost of holiness. We'll throw out holiness for peace then you don't really have peace. You have some fake veneer you put on because it's not God, right? It's not what God created. It's fake, which many of us do when we come to church after we just shouted our kids on the whole way here, but that's a totally different story. But like peace, true peace can only be found with holiness. If you think about that for a second, to truly be in peace with somebody without God, the holiness in the middle is not possible because it's a fake peace. At the same section, being holy and never at peace with anybody, you're just sort of a tyrant, and your holiness isn't really affecting the way you live your life. And so, right, it's that balance in between. We are called to be holy. Now, the problem with holiness today is it sort of has a bad rap. Anytime you think if someone's holy, you think they're arrogant, they're, they're better than everybody, they think they're better than everybody else, and that, that. it's sort of what we think about when you think about Holiness. Such a bad definition of holiness because that's not what God's definition of holiness. Holiness is looking like Jesus. True holiness means you represent Jesus perfectly, which we never do, but but that's what holiness is. We're without sin because we look like Jesus. And so if you throw away one or the other, you have nothing. You don't have biblical truth. You don't have biblical peace. And a great sort of microcosm of how we do it is in this church. We offend each other and hopefully repentance is coming or forgiveness is going or conversations are happening. At the same time, if you're struggling and you're struggling to live like God wants you to live, I sure hope your friends are kicking you around a little bit. Walking into your life and say, dude, what are you doing? Let's pull it together. And it's that balance, right? It's not about being perfect without being at peace. It's not about being at peace without holiness. And I'll be honest, our world struggles with the peace part because we want peace at all costs. We will throw, about, throw away everything God says just for peace. And all we're actually offering is destruction. So I want to, t- I mean, so I want to challenge you to think about something in your life, and just you're not saying it out loud, but in your life, what do you think you lean more towards? You're striving for peace with the exception of holiness, or striving for holiness with the exception of peace? When you think about how you're doing, how you're functioning. Because the reality is at the very end of 15, he says that oh no, sorry, 14, he says this striving for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what I want you to understand is you right now, as a Christian following Jesus, are a beacon, lighthouse for God. Now remember, we're not talking about your salvation here. We're not talking about get it together or God doesn't love you. That's not what I'm saying. But because God loves us, because God has brought us into his kingdom, we now become a lighthouse for him. And you think about what a lighthouse does. It does two things if you're out lost at sea and it's dark and you can't see anything. It shows you where shore is and it also tells you where not to run into the rocks of your ship. Very much like this passage. You are called to be holy. You are called to show people where the rocks are. You're called to help people walk with Jesus together like we're trying to walk. Here's a great example I do not drink a lot of alcohol. Matter of fact, I just drink once in a while to entertain people. Don't really like it. I deal with a lot of people not in our church, so don't get all figuring out who it is, alcoholics. So I walk into people's homes and dump hundreds of dollars worth of alcohol down the sink while they watch me. Well, I make them do it, either one. Just because it entertains me, not really, but to get rid of it. And so someone always says to me, well, do you judge the person? And I'm like, no, have you seen my diet Pepsi drinking habit? I mean, I'm not this big because I'm not a glutton, right? I mean, like, like, there's things I struggle with. I just don't struggle with that one. But we all have sins. None of us are better than somebody else, just different. Mine may be less socially wrong. Maybe, maybe they're not. But, like, when you think about what we're wrestling with and what we're doing, you're not better. You are not more holy I know plenty of people who read the Bible every day, every day for the last 73 years. I can't tell the difference because it's not true holiness. It's some act they put on so they can, they can feel good about themselves. I know people who are at peace with everybody and nobody likes them because it's fake. They're not, even true, they're not even friends with anybody. We as Christians in this passage are called to do what? Encourage each other and help each other to finish well. Life is not easy. If you have kids, life is not easy. If you are married, life is not easy. If you are single, life is not easy. If you have a job, life is not easy. If you're a millionaire, life is not easy. We need each other. You need Christian men and women in your life loving on you, encouraging you, even at times pushing you for peace. Maybe you're the one who needs to go ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're the one who's got to go apologize. Maybe you're the one who has to actually give forgiveness. Maybe that's your job. But when you think about all that, the end is what freaks me out the most. And so just the last 15 and 16, literally, I'm just going to read it to you. Actually, I should skip a part. Let me say this first. In 15, it says, see to that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Do you realize that that's an act we're supposed to be doing so that no one fails to see the grace of God? How do people see God's grace? Us. How you live, how you act, how you function. Why do most people dislike the church today if they dislike the church? They've had some bad encounter with somebody, right or wrong, that they perceive as horrible and they're never coming back. Now, again, it happens everywhere in the world. It's not just the church. But, but the reality is, why aren't we quick to ask for forgiveness? Why aren't we quick to repent? Why aren't we quick to hold to the truth of what God has told us? Why is it so hard? Because we are the ones who should never withhold grace from God from somebody, right? The other thing is, and then, if we get bitter enough, and this is in the passage in the latter half of 15, it says, No root of bitterness springs up and can cause trouble. It may become, and many become defiled because of that bitterness. So, if we start becoming bitter, that affects others. That affects the other way other people think. It causes problems. Where does bitterness come from? It's not letting go of anger. It's not letting go of the sin that may have been committed against us. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sure many of you have been sinned against. I'm not, I'm not even arguing that. It's totally true. But what happens when you hang on to that bitterness? Then 16 comes in. Then all of a sudden you get no one is, they talk about sexual or immorality or unholy. With our anger, what do you do with your anger? You begin to find ways to let it out. If you're struggling, you figure out ways to, to stuff it down, right? This is what happens. And so we get sexual immorality, and that may be we fantasize about something, or we start a relationship with someone we shouldn't have, or we have an emotional affair. Or we, I mean, all these things we do to hide our frustration about what we haven't been given by God. Or we become unholy. And he, and he gives an example like Esau. And if you don't know the story, Esau was one of Jacob's kids. He's, he's like the firstborn, so he's going to get all these blessings because he's the firstborn, and he's coming out from hunting. His brother's in the house making a meal or something, and he literally walks in, and he goes, give me something to eat. I'm really hungry. And his brother goes, give me your birthright. He goes, all right. I'll give you my birthright. Give me the bowl of cereal. Now, that seems crazy, but we do it all the time. How many times have you traded what you know is truth for a falsehood, because at that moment, that's more convenient. How many times has a word come out of your mouth, and the minute it comes out of your mouth, you're like, okay, I shouldn't say it, but you say it anyways? How many times have you filled your bank account or your pockets with money, knowing that there's somebody you should be helping, but yet that may put you at a disadvantage? How many of you have you turned on a computer, and you're not to write an email? But, I mean, the list goes on. We do it all the time. We choose against God all the time. Not huge things necessarily, but little things. And those little things become bigger things. And the scary part is at the end of this 17, it says, for you know that afterward, this is talking about Esau, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. How sad is that? Now, here's the first thing. It's not Jesus rejecting him. John Piper points out, I mean, at that great point. It's not Jesus not allowing him to repent. The hardness of his heart is so great, he can't repent. He has gone so far down that path, he doesn't know how to turn around. And that can, come to, that can happen to us. That's why this balance of holiness and peace is so important. It's so critical to our functioning as a church and as people, as families, right? It's the only way to do it. I'll give you a great example of my own losing my mind. And I think I'm right and wrong all at the same time. My kids will disagree, but they're liars, so don't listen to them. So we're at my parents' house, and I usually do all the cooking. I don't know how that happened, but in my life, I, I, I show up and I cook for everybody there. And so my kids go, hey, can you make us French toast for breakfast? And I like cooking, so I'm like, yeah, I'll make you French toast. And it was happened to be all messy, and I go, hey, can someone do the bacon, and do was stuff everywhere. And so I was just sort of frustrated. I'm like, hey, guys, can you like, do some cleaning and put some bacon in? Yeah, Dad, we'll do it. After he watched this YouTube video, I should be fine with that, right? Nope. About three seconds later, I'm like, what? Just come do it! Like, what are we doing? I'm cooking for you! Like, I just sort of lose my mind, right? Now, here's the deal. I was neither holy or peaceful at that time. Neither were my children. And so later I had to say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for overreacting. I'm sorry for being mad. Now, they could have been not lazy and got up and helped me right away, but that's a totally different, but, but my reaction was wrong, and we do it all the time. Right? We respond because my need isn't getting met at this moment, and I'm frustrated, and I'm going to respond likewise. That whole balance, peace, peace, And holiness. I am called to represent Christ no matter what is happening in my life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how wrong you've been. It doesn't matter how unjust you've been treated. It doesn't matter. That does not take away the idea that you're supposed to live holy and in peace with people. Now, I'm not saying that's easy because that's crazy, right? That's God is necessary for that to be accomplished. You can't do it on your own. But I want to challenge you to think about something. As a church, and I don't mean Redeemer, I mean as a church, as a body of men and women across the world who love Jesus, we are called to live in peace and holiness. Everybody who encounters you should see that. And how do you do that? Because that's super difficult. You do that literally starting with repentance. When you sin, you repent. We do it every week in this church, which I love. You get on your knees and you repent to God. Maybe you go repent to the person. Here's another thing that may be going on in this church. Maybe you're not willing to give forgiveness. That's not what you're doing at this point. You're not there yet. And I would ask you this one question. What may have been done to you is horrific. It may deserve somebody to die. Maybe, maybe I would agree with you. Maybe we should go do it. But maybe I, mean, maybe I agree with you. But God paid for all that. In Romans, oh, sorry, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, what did it say he did? He went to the cross, enduring, enduring its shame so that he can sit at the right hand of God and conquer death, so that we could even have the hope of living a holy, repentant, peaceful life. And so when we say, hey, I'm not giving you repentance, because you're not not repentant enough, so I won't forgive you. I would be going to hell right now if that was God's mindset. I will never be repentant enough. And either would you. Because we keep doing it. I bet you every one of us literally say the same sins. The sins we struggled with when we were 12 aren't much different now that I'm 54. They're not. Sadly, they're not. They may be a little more nuanced, but they're not. I mean, we oftentimes struggle with the same things over and over again. So I'm going to end with this great story. It's not a great story, but it's a, it's a good story. So, so I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he, he, knew, he knew a guy, his name is, I'm going to say it's wrong, Murmach, Murmach, and he's a Muslim dude, young man, college student, who gave his life to Christ. Talked about, like, the greatness of Jesus, living his life for Jesus. And his family stepped in and said, look it, we're done with you. You are not to contact us, talk to us, Call us. We are done. You're out of our lives, unless you come back to Islam. And so Miramak wrestled with this and said, "All right, I'll denounce, I'll denounce Christ and go back to Islam." Now I tell you that story not because it's a great story, but what does Miramak need in his life? He needs a family. He needs people who will love him, care about him, bring them into their own homes, because let's be honest, if I told you you had to walk away from your family to follow Jesus, how many of us would really start questioning whether we wanted to follow Jesus? Right? And so I'm just telling you, as a group, we are in it together, and we have to be in it together. And the problem is too many of us are in it alone. We're trying to do it all by ourselves. And what happens? We get screwed up, we get mad, whatever. Why am I crying kind of, you know, I need a Diet Pepsi. So I want you to think about something. That story I tell you is because we need each other. And we need a place where we can live in holiness and peace. And it's not going to happen, right? And so we need to be able to work through it and follow it up, right? All right. On that note, I'm going to pray. And uh, Troy's going to come up here and talk to us about confession. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the fact that we can get together. We thank you so much for the fact that you love us and that you know you paid a price that. We couldn't pay. Amen.